If the creek's been rising or the weather's coming up Or you found a little nugget or your horse has won the cup Put the billy on, ring macker Australia's waiting for you Oh, good morning. On the program this morning, I just went to Grafton the last couple of days and back uh, Been on the road, seen the Vaudry Transport and Bullet Transport And CC Express and Carl Transport, all the trucks But I'd love to talk to you this morning Cucumbers this morning, amongst other things 1300 700 222, that's our number I'd love to talk to you Want a hand, mate? Ring Macca. Clem's in Orkinflower. Uh, good morning, Macca. In Brisbane. Yeah. Yes, we're one of the inner uh, suburbs. Look, I'm an old agricultural scientist. I've been watching basically jacarandas all my life. But this year, the first jacarandas started to bloom on the 14th of September in the park behind the Wesley Hospital. And that was the earliest it's been for over 20 years. The earliest before that was the 16th of September. But look, it's not all written down, it's just in my head, but <laughs> it's just that I watch these things, you know, Macca. But today it was very mystic because there was a smoke haze and smoke haze and jacarandas just gives you a feeling of kind of uneasiness. It's just strange, it's just a mystic feel when you get smoke and jacarandas. See, I've never, Clem, that's, you've made us all think, Clem. <laughs> so I hadn't thought of that before, but then again, I was thinking, and I mentioned during the week I went to Grafton for the Jacaranda Festival, and that was lovely, and met lots of people, and you meet some of them this morning. But I remember when I was in Grafton years ago, Years ago, like uh, 20 years ago, and there were fires, and it was uh, it was November, probably December. Uh, jacarandas were still out, but there was fire and haze and smoke around. I remember the bats flying through the smoke haze and the jacarandas. Yeah, I suppose it was mystic. <laughs> Good morning, 1300 700 That's our number, macatracks at com. Clem also had this to say. See, Clem was an agricultural, or is, an agricultural scientist. He's retired now, I think, but he was, as he said, he was in Orkinflower. But this is what Clem also had to say. I'm, I'm concerned about something, Macca, with fires and with kangaroos and emus. I don't know if you appreciate there are now what they call excluded areas in, in rural Australia where you get together and you build these root enclosure fences that keep out all the feral dogs, pigs, you know, all the feral animals. So yeah. you've got, so you can have good properties. So what happens is if there's a fire, you'll make certain you get your sheep and cattle and horses off the property. But what happens to the emus and kangaroos? Because they can't get through, can't get out. So that's just a worry I've got. And it's been expressed in our kind of circles, you know. And somebody rang last week or texted and said, look, uh, there's people who've got some of those collapsible fences, which you just walk over, but I'm not sure that Everybody has those. Emus are just about my favourite little Aussies, I reckon, at the moment. I have favourite Aussies. I've got lots of favourite little Aussies, mostly insects and stuff. And you see all the things. There was an ad on TV the other day about insects. We've got this, it'll, some spray, it'll poison flies and mosquitoes and insects. Well, you don't want to kill insects. I mean, that's the whole damn problem. As John Womersley said months ago on the program, When's the last time you had insects splattered all over your windscreen? You don't. Do I give you the numbers? <laughs> 1300 700 222, that's our number. Good morning to Williamson Brothers Transport, Kingbray Bulk Haulage, Chromac Transport and FEDC Cane Harvester. Had FEDC and had a big cane harvester on the back. Exactly. 
Oh, it's exciting being on the road. I love it. I was up there doing the program with Bridie, ABC North Coast in New South Wales, and drove up and drove back, and there's trucks everywhere, and I love it. Uh, this is from Mark Campbell, our rowing correspondent, but he's also our veterinary correspondent and sometimes correspondent about all things interesting. Mark says this, Macker, on the show last week you mentioned that there was only a few unpleasant people around, maybe 5 or 10 or even 15%. It was, look, it was just a off-the-cuff, meaning there's a small amount. Anyway, Mark says, my experience over 40 years in vet practice is that the actual figure is actually much lower, less than half of 1%. I meet about 1,000 people every year, and I honestly can't remember meeting more than one unpleasant person in any year. Fair to say it's a skewed sample, pet owners, that's about two-thirds of Australians. Is it really? Two-thirds of Australians are pet owners. Wow. And my memory might be failing with age, but that's been the case. What about the lady last week who had the pet, the pig, the pet pig? Didn't have any mail about that. But anyway, I've seen many amazing cases of kindness, says Mark, not just to their pets, but in how people interact with each other most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. This week, we had one case which almost takes the cake for random acts of kindness I've seen, which I thought might be worth sharing. A beautiful little dog came in, hit by a car. Its owner was inconsolably sobbing. The injuries, terrible. He was completely unresponsive, and we just gave him a little injection to help him out of his suffering. I left the owner to grieve over his little mate and went out to see the lady who'd driven them in, I assumed a partner or a friend. In summary, the lady didn't know the man. She'd been driving past and saw the accident, stopped and brought them in. She was upset but calm and compassionate. She then left, explaining she wanted to console the upset young P-plate driver who had, totally unavoidably, run over the little dog. She came back two days later and insisted on paying for the cremation. The owner came in next day to thank us for taking care of him and his little mate. He then explained that a very large bunch of flowers and chocolates had arrived at his home the day before from this lady. There are a lot of wonderful people out there who do great stuff all the time with no thought of reward, but this is one of the best acts of random kindness I've known. I can't even tell you a name, but if there was an award for Compassionate Australian of the Year, I reckon she's a great candidate. G'day, this is Macca. Yeah, Macca, Matthew here from... Uh, oh, I'm just at Natty Muck at the moment. How are you? Oh, good, thanks, Matthew. What's up? What are you doing? Uh, Windrowing canola at the moment. Yeah, just uh, been at it all night and, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, looking forward to knocking off soon. And explain to people why you windrow now and when you pick it up. Yeah, in a couple of weeks' time, it will be uh, dried out enough that the header will come along and, and pick it up. So, um, yeah, no, it's a pretty handy crop that I'm in at the moment. So it should go, hopefully, um, three under the hectares, which is, uh, is pretty good going. Is this, yeah. is this your place, Matthew? Or No, it's a farmer that I work for. So I'm just at Natty Muck and... Um, Oh, just in the distance, I can just see the outline of Mount Arapalus, which is world-renowned for rock climbing. So, yeah, and the sun's just about to break the horizon. So, um, yeah, no, I uh, came over and came out and took over from um, another bloke at 2 o'clock this morning, and my relief uh, bloke should be here in the next hour so I can go home for a bit. Is this a, a, a nighttime, early morning thing, or you do it all day? No, all day and all night if the crop's ready to go. Mm. So uh, we've probably got another um, thousand acres to go. So, yeah, another couple of days, three days or so at it. Yeah, we should be done. And then you got another yeah. crop to do? Or? Uh, no, that'll be it for the windrowing of canola. And um, we've got a little bit of hay baling to um, get done and 
and um, and then yeah, we'll be uh, into harvesting. Yeah, well, I hope the harvest is good. How's it look, Matthew? All right? Yeah, it's is shaping up all right for a dry finish with the crop. But uh, yeah. it looks like they've, it's got enough subsoil moisture there that the grain's going to um, to fill out. The heads of the um, crop are going to fill out. So no, it should be all should be all right. Yeah. Well, I wish I was out there with you, Maddie. Good on you, mate, and thanks for calling. No worries, Maga. G'day, Maka. This is Claudia calling from New York. Oh, wow. What oh, Half your luck. What are you doing in, in New York, Claudia? Yeah, a little while ago I rang you and I was um, there was a host a meeting of a lot of Achilles chapters in Melbourne in uh, for Run Melbourne, and um, I said that I was running the New York Marathon. Well, it's tomorrow, so um, oh, wow. I'm calling you from New York. Ha, ha, ha. And how's your fitness, uh, Claudia? Oh, it's as good as it's going to get. <laughs> There's not much I can do in the next couple of hours to get any better. Yeah, when I spoke to you, how long ago was that? Was that three, six months ago? Oh, it would have been July, I think. Yeah. yeah. Fair while ago. So, uh, and you've been doing any running uh, since then? Oh, just a little, yeah. Yeah, I thought I'd better actually keep keep running until, until the actual marathon. So, yeah, I've done a couple of half mar- marathons between now and then, and... Um, yeah, some longer runs as well to get me up towards the, the 42Ks that we've got to do tomorrow. And how many people will, will I get in the New York Marathon? I think something like 50,000. Just a small God. little run. And this is 42Ks, is that right? Yeah, 42.2, not to put too fine a point on it. <laughs> Um, but the city's just buzzing. Like everyone that has been walking down the street today has been chatting about the marathon, whether they're running it, whether they're watching somebody. Um, yeah, it's just such a great vibe in New York at the moment. Oh, that's great. And are you running with friends? Have you got friends with you to run with or are you just on your Todd? Yeah, no. So I've got the, um, so I'm a blind athlete. So I've got the Achilles Running Club. Um, so we've got three of us running from Melbourne um, here. And then the rest of the Achilles chapters from all around the world are running as well. So we'll be running, we'll be starting as a big group. Um, and then, of course, splitting off depending on our pace. So I've got a guide from uh, Melbourne running with me, as well as another guide from the state uh, who's going to be running with me as well. So, yeah, it's pretty, pretty exciting. It's going to be a sea of yellow. <laughs> well, well, that'll be great. I mean, what a what an exciting thing to do. And the, when's the Boston Marathon? They have one of those too, don't they, in the London Marathon? Yeah, Boston, Chicago, London, Tokyo. Uh, I think I've missed one. There's six world majors. Um, yeah. And Sydney's hoping to become the seventh. So, yeah, <laughs> we might have our own major marathon in, in, well, uh, in Australia soon. Yeah, or you could have it in Melbourne. Melbourne, do they have a marathon? They do, yeah. Melbourne has a really great marathon, but they're not in contention to become a world major, whereas Sydney's actually trying to become one, so they're a candidate. Yeah, uh, that's because Sydney's a big shot, see? They, yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, Cla- <laughs> yeah. Claudia, um, uh, you uh, let us know how you go, um, and how long will that take you? Uh, I'm expecting anywhere between five and six hours. I suspect I'm not the fastest runner. Um, I'm just aiming to get to the finish uh, vertical and uninjured. Yeah. And what time do you? What time does that start in the morning? Oh, it's it's a bit of a, a, a um, procedure. So we leave at five a.m., um, but our race doesn't start until nine. But because they have to close off um, the bridge over to Staten Island. 
they have to get all of the participants um, onto the island quite early so then they can close off the bridge to traffic. I see. Oh, well, that sounds exciting. And as you say, it's a great vibe in the town of New York. What's new? How long have you been there? Uh, we arrived on Wednesday, so it's now Saturday night. Uh, or we arrived Tuesday night, I should say, and, we, and yeah, it's now Saturday night. So we've been here a couple of days, and then um, I'm leaving bright and early on Monday morning, and we're going to do a bit more travel around um, the state. So we're heading to Boston next. Uh, and you're going to run in the Boston Marathon? Uh, not this year. It's already been held. Um, but oh, right. yeah, in the future, I'd like to do all of the six world major marathons because you get like, if you do all six of them, you get this really amazing medal. So, you know, I'm all after the bling. I only run for bling. <laughs> oh, Claudia. Well, good luck. Good luck. Um, I'm sure you'll have a lovely Thank time. Thank you so much, Maka. And, yeah. and there'll be yeah. great community and, uh, spirit, yeah. great New York spirit out there oh, too, I'm sure. Already, already like it. It's just amazing. So, yeah, I can't actually wait for, to hear everyone around the course. So, yeah, it's going to be great. Good on you, Claudia. Excellent. Thanks, Maka. Have a great day. You too. Helen's uh, near Yarrawonga. Is that right, Helen? Good morning. Correct. Good morning, Maka. How are you going? Oh, we're fantastic here. What's happening? We are on a charity run. It's called Run for KB, the number four, Run for KB. KB was a special operations officer with Victoria Police. Amazing man, was with them for close to two decades. He Mm. died from Ewing sarcoma last year, um, which is normally a paediatric tumour for cancer in kids, but rarely adults will have it. And this is essentially running to collect funds for research. The man who's running is another Victoria Police colleague, KG, or Kyle, and it's 441 kilometres over seven days. We've just started day three. Our starting times have been 4am each morning, and thus far this morning we've already completed 17 and a half k's. You've got all we the details, are... Helen. You've got all the oh, details. Oh, look, we're on such a high. All the stats, you. all the stats. Listen, just so just, uh, just Kyle is running on his own, is that right? That's right. Kyle is running on his own periodically uh, to the end of the day to help him get over the line. Uh, workmates, other mates, family running with him, but it's just Kyle. And, and running from where to where, Helen? Uh, we started in Nathalia, which was where Kyle was born and grew up, and we're finishing Victoria Police Centre on Spencer Street. And that'll be what, next um... Next Thursday uh, on, or something. On Thursday, sort of early afternoon, we hope. Mm-hmm. And what's uh, what's the weather like there this morning? You're at Yarrawonga? Oh, stunning, yeah. stunning. As we're, we're just leaving Yarrawonga, we've got the sun up, uh, just the most beautiful sunrise, no wind, clear sky, green trees. I normally live in the middle of Melbourne. This is heaven. Yeah, whenever you get out, I've just been up to Grafton and back uh, in two days but and drove up. But when you get out of the city, there's something about it, isn't there, Helen? It's just... Oh, it's just so fresh. I'm, I'm their team doctor. We're in the first car. All I can see is Kyle and uh, Dono, who's riding the bike. Beautiful, fresh weather. It just makes you feel so alive. I don't want to be of any use here. I just want to crack bad jokes, but we're here to make sure we've 
appropriately supporting as we need to. I've never met a doctor who cracks. Oh, well, Dr. Ross actually cracks a few jokes, but doctors, oh. doc, doctors fairly got a poker face, haven't they, uh, Helen? Oh, they? look, we get we get pretty good at that, but I'm an emergency specialist, so uh, hey, give it to me and I'll <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> All right, well, good on you, Helen. Good luck to Kyle, and yeah, uh, well, what's the disease called again? So the disease is Ewing sarcoma, E-W-I-N-G, normally in kids. So if I very quickly may, any unusual lumps or bumps that kids or adults feel, any muscles that are, oh, look, this is sore, it's still sore, it's not getting better, please get things checked out. It's rare, it's uncommon, it's always important to get it sorted quickly. And if I could say, yeah, donations to Run for KBs, the website, Run for the number four KB, all the information is there. Good on you, Helen. Nice to meet you. Good on you. Lovely. Thanks, Macca. Thanks for the opportunity. Cheers, all. Bye. Oh, Graham Cottrell's on the line. Good on you, Graham. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks, Macca. You? Yeah, fine. Were you one of the thirteen semi trailers that Sandy saw? Uh, that's yeah. That's just some of them. Um, we're actually travelling up the Hume at the moment. We haven't long left Jugion, where we stopped overnight. And a few more caught up with us, and we're 23 at the moment. And we've got two more catching us up tomorrow. So um, but most of them are going to uh, Willowarren tonight. We're having a night there with the um, our recipient farmers. So I think there'll be, there's about 150 people coming. And um, then tomorrow they will all unload. Um, about half of them onto the bigger properties around the area, and then we've um, had a fodder depot set up in Willowarren itself for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And we've yeah we've had um, we've had seven or eight trucks up there already, like just to keep them going till till the main convoy got there. Then uh, also tomorrow, Macca, um, there's um, three of them um, are heading up to um, Tenerfield. And then another three, uh, hopefully, um, the ones that catch us up tomorrow, we're taking some loads through to Tara, to the fires up there in Queensland. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, the, yeah. the Sandy rang from Yarrawonga. She said she thought they were the hay runners um, with their hay. Is that Were they related to you? Um Hay run well, bar and bunny don't run anymore. So no, it's um, it's yeah, well, it's need for feed. So we're a um, Lions Club, Lions Australia project, and um, uh, registered charity. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, um, good luck, mate. It's great to great to be out in the road. I'm sure this morning, nice nice weather in Jugyong. Yeah, not bad. It's um, a little bit windy, but not cold. So. Yeah, just um, give a shout out to our drivers. They're um, giving up four or five days of their time to uh, yeah go and help. Yeah, uh, exactly. People, people in need. So yeah, great great bunch. They're all volunteers. They get their fuel and um, a little bit towards their running costs, and uh, we make sure they get a feed and a beer at the end of the day. <laughs> um, they love to do it too. It's great. The spirit of cooperation is great. Is great, Graham. Um, Good on you, mate. It's a very Aussie thing to look after your mates, isn't it? So. I'll say, and we need to do it, and we keep doing it. And and it's great to hear about it in the morning here. Whatever people are doing, they're always doing it for somebody else, which is a great thing. Yeah, no worries. Good on you, Graham.
Thanks for having us on, Macca. Pleasure, mate. Bye. Brian's in Beaufort. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Macca. Um, I'm here on another great Australian day at Beaufort, um, clear and bright, and uh, I'm heading down to Lake Goldsmith to the steam rally that was held yesterday and will also be on today at Lake Goldsmith. And um, I've never been before. I've come over with a friend from Adelaide and we're staying in a motel at Beaufort and heading down to the place at uh, Lake Goldsmith. And I was amazed. We spent the whole day touring and we've only seen about a third of the exhibits. And there was a huge grand parade with monstrous steam shovels and traction wow. engines. It is absolutely amazing. There probably would have been a thousand people there. It's like a city from another universe. I'd love to see that. Tell people who might be travelling on the road where Beaufort is. Beaufort's um, the next town on t- towards Adelaide from Ballarat. It's maybe 20 miles on the other side of Ballarat. Uh-huh. And Lake Goldsmith's about 16 kilometres directly south of here. And whereabouts and in, in Beaufort? Is it a, a showground or something or a big area outside town or what? The Lake Goldsmith is a... Um, obviously a rural property in the middle of nowhere that's been set up with perhaps a hundred sheds, some of which are very big, holding enormous steam engines and boilers that people store their exhibits in. And then twice a year in um, November and uh, March, it's opened and the people come and open their sheds and bring out their enormous steam machines and fire them all up and whistles are blowing and it's like living in the 19th century it's fantastic macca it's worth everybody going and having a look at at least one time in their life what's your in what's your interest in these old engines brian oh just to see how they work um the way that um steam's a little bit different from internal combustion in the pistons they have to travel in a, a vertical plane rather than the way that uh, internal combustion engines work um, and the interest that people have in actually spending an enormous amount of time bringing back hundreds, literally hundreds of these machines that were so important to farming and industry during the 19th and early 20th century. And um, just to see how we used to do things in this country. And some of them were actually built around Ballarat and in the goldfields of Victoria rather than imported from England. So we did have industry that could produce anything that was as good as the world produced as far as um, industrial machinery is concerned. And people love it, don't they, Bryony? They just love it. Where are you, Trevor? Tell us. I'm I'm, uh, 75 kilometres west of Grafton on the banks of the Clarence River. I was talking to you now on Thursday at the Jacaranda. Oh, right. Trevor, where do you you live, uh, Trevor? I'm I'm 10 kilometres below the junction of the Man and the Clarence. I see. 20 kilometres below Bayougal. And you came in uh, because I went to help the Northern... Uh, ABC Northern Rivers to do their outside broadcast on Thursday at the Jacaranda Festival. And Trevor, you turned up, didn't you? And you were talking about the drought and how dry it was? Yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been a weather reporter for two and a half for 28 years. Good on you, mate. And what's, yeah. what's, what's happened up there now? Yeah, well, look, we had a whopping big storm here yesterday. 
that come in from Glen Innes and it started raining here at three o'clock and it rained through to four and we had in a half in between that we had a half an hour of hail and then by ten to four the, the creeks come out of the mountain, the creeks were bone dry for four kilometres, and the creeks come out of the mountains at ten to four we had a four foot front straight out to the river. Wow. Yeah. Isn't rain, isn't the rain just renewing, Trevor? Yeah, yeah. and the hail was four inches deep all over the paddocks behind the sheds. It was six, five, and six inches deep. And three hours later, it was all up the mountain, still white. It was at six o'clock in the night time. Oh, how good is that, mate? Yeah. How good is that, Trev? Yeah, so the creeks was bone dry, and it, and it come over the waterfall, and it was dry. It's a 40-foot waterfall, and it went over that like a bomb when it hit the bottom at the, at the waterfall. I'm, I'm going to come up to your place and have a look at that. That, that. that sounds fantastic. Yeah, yeah. They're still running out to the river this morning, they are, yeah. Oh, right. Yep. Okay. Yeah, uh, been dreaming for that for a while, Mac, I tell you. <laughs> I know, because the bloke said to me up there the other day that it was as dry as he's ever seen it for 30 or 40 years. Yeah. it's Well, we built the dams in the 40s, they did, and it's the first time I've ever seen them dry. It, it was this year. Yeah. yeah. There you go. All yep. right. Well, good on you, Trevor. Yep. Nice to yep. talk to you, mate. Yep. Good, Mac. Talk to you next time. Okay, mate. Yep. See, See ya. Up. Bye. This is the All Over News. This is the All Over News, and in a moment we'll talk interest rates around the world and inflation. But first, I've been up and down the M1 doing about 2,000 Ks over the last couple of days, and I look at the trucks, the SRVs, the Lindsays, Nolans, the Ianellis, the Murrell Transport, and also, of course, trucks with the Finnemore name on them. Ron Finnemore has been involved in the trucking industry for a long time, and he's passionate about truck safety and road safety. He listens in on a Sunday, and he called in last Sunday. Hello, it's Ron Finnemore. I'm at Maroolan, actually, just on the highway, and I was driving along, and I was thinking about the roads and road safety, and one of the things, Macca, that I'm supporting is that AAA are doing a campaign to try to get the federal government to make all the states supply the data and measure their performance. They give them $10 billion a year for roads for each of the states, but we they don't measure it. So if you measure what you do, you improve it. Road safety and road conditions are very important to everybody in the community. And I just thought it's something that you and the, all your listeners might have been interested in hearing because AAA, I think, are doing a great job in trying to get the federal government to tie the states to reporting consistently and commonly on all their accidents and the condition of their roads. As I said, if you measure it, you improve it. Everybody benefits from the roads across this nation. What's AIA stand for, Ron? Australian Automotive Association. It's the head body for the NRMA and the RACB and all of those different groups. And there's one of the problems with signing in the roads or the rules of the roads, health and education and everything, that each of the states doesn't report consistently and measure what they do consistently so you can't see how they're performing with how they spend their money and therefore if you can't see that you can't hold them accountable. The incidents and deaths, road deaths have climbed in the last few years, last couple two or three years quite substantially and it's a combined effort from everybody but at the moment too much of the road funds is given out on political whim of the politicians rather than 
the area of greatest need, the things you hear and see on the news about people, young people stealing cars and then the way they drive and all of that stuff, it's, it's just horrendous. Quickly, how's the trucking business going? How's business generally, do you think, on the roads? Well, I think everybody's hurting from the increase in fuel prices. I think also everybody's hurting from a shortage of truck drivers. That's a real issue. Rising costs, everybody's hurting from that. So, exactly. yeah, it's, it's tough, but there's nothing easy. Matter? Ronnie Finnamore. This is the All Over News. There's nothing easy. Next Tuesday, as I mentioned, it's Melbourne Cup Day and that's for the horse race and a great Australian day, I think, is the Melbourne Cup Day for, for lots of reasons. But it's also important because every year on Melbourne Cup Day, the Reserve Bank uh, looks at uh, a, whether they're going to ra- raise the interest rates or not. And uh, this year, well, who knows? I don't know. And I thought we'd talk to Kieran. But Kieran's in... Uh, He's in America, uh, but he's on the line. Good morning, Kieran. Uh, good morning, Ian. How are you? Yeah, good. Whereabouts are you? I'm in Park City in Utah. Uh-huh. Uh, about in the middle of the country, uh, in mountain country. And coming into coming into uh, end of autumn, into winter? Yeah, that's right. The trees are still golden, but a lot of them are dropping their leaves. The temperature's now uh, around zero, and we've had our first fall of snow, so that's a, another summer gone by. <laughs> Now, Kieran, um, Melbourne Cup Day, and people have been talking about it because I suppose one of the reasons I think that um, uh, Philip Lowe got the uh, got the elbow, if you if you like, is because of the interest rates rise, and and many people, especially if you've got a m- mortgage or, or and governments, didn't like that. So um, I'm not sure that there'll be a interest rate rise. But what's your prognostication? Uh, look, I think there will be uh, uh, whether it's going to do any good or have any effect and uh, whether there should be an interest rate rise are, are, are different factors. But I think there will be. The rate in the September quarter got up to about 5.4%, which I think was higher than everyone expected. That's on an uh, annual basis and the RBA's target's about 2 to 3%. So inflation's probably running along at the moment about double what they want. Um, it's being exacerbated by a lot of factors. And the IMF said uh, they weighed it in, whether it's their business or not. They weighed it in and said there should be a, a, a rate rise. So I think the government will probably have to act. Yeah. Um, and the Reserve Bank, you mean? The Reserve Bank. The yeah. Reserve Bank, rather, will have to act. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and I suppose, you know, over the last, whatever, year or so, um, People with money in the bank, retirees who haven't got a mortgage, are reasonably happy because for 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 a long time they haven't made any money really, have on couldn't live on their interest. So that's uh, uh, that's been good for them. But for everybody else who's got a mortgage, and some people have got big mortgages, um, every 0.25 basis points rise means a lot of money to them. It does, and there's a lot of young people um, in the early stages of mortgages and. Since uh, the start of 2022, say, the cost of a mortgage has gone up about 70%. So that causes a lot of pain. Um, It combines with some extraordinary, unfortunate circumstances um, that is confronting the Australian population. One of them is the Reserve Bank is, I think, reached the end of its ability to control inflation. Because if you look at where some of this inflation is coming from, 
as such as rising petrol prices because of uh, crisis in the Middle East. There's nothing rising interest rates in Australia will do. The other thing that's quite apparent to me is that the migration policy that's been adopted is very, very unfortunate. You're going to have a wave of migrants that have already started to arrive at a time when there's almost a historic housing shortage. There's not enough houses in Australia to house the existing population, let alone the population growth we're going to um, uh, experience that was up. Population grew to about 2.6% uh, in the year to September, while their amount of houses being built has gone down. Now, that you can see that in the figures. House prices haven't fallen. Now, they're not in the CPI, but rent is. So everyone's trying to rent. That's existing residents plus all the new migrants, and there just aren't enough houses to go around. So... That's really very unfortunate, but rising um, migration in increased flows, I, I'm starting to see that impact in other places as well. For example, retail sales are staying incredibly high, given that the average person is spending less in retail, but there's just more people going in the shops because there's more people arriving in the country. So there's no point raising interest rates and causing pain if you keep the migration rates at the level they are. It's like... So I could use the analogy of a car going down the highway. The government's got its foot on the accelerator with a big Australian mentality and rising migration. The Reserve Bank's got its foot on the brake, uh, you know, trying to rein in the speed of the car. Now, that just doesn't work. And things have changed. Uh, things have changed in the economic world too, haven't they? I mean, time was that that was the deal. You, you the the Reserve Bank uh, fiddled with the interest rates, and that was supposed to fix everything. But it, it, it seems to me a different world now. Somebody said the other day that there's uh, middle and upper income earners are going to get a, a some tax relief in the next six months, or probably next three months, or something, and and they'll have plenty of money. So if you've got plenty of money, you spend it, and so that adds to inflation as well. I mean, there's lots of things. Uh, impacting on inflation, but you know, everybody who who's listening now can see the impact of inflation on food prices, on drink prices, on you know even traffic fine prices. You know, I just got fined five hundred bucks for God's sake for a for an infringement yeah. that wasn't my fault. So everything's gone up, and you know, I think that five percent. Sometimes I I do a little sum and I say, well, that's gone up, you know, by thirty percent in the la the last time I bought that. So I. I you know, it's not all nice to say, well, the CPI is five percent or something, but um, gee, it's uh, it doesn't, you know, uh, accord with what I see when I walk around and buy things. No, that's right, and um, I think one of the interesting areas, looking at the September figures, uh, that's starting to show up is a big increase in electricity prices, and I think that's also because. There hasn't been enough thought about what happens when you have a massive surge in population. People, there's going to be more people to turn the lights on. That's quite simple. Mm. You cannot get a big increase in population without a demand for food, and a demand for consumables in general, but also a demand for energy. So unfortunately, there's a government policy to, to I guess, disenfranchise coal-fired power stations. At the same time, there's a government policy to put, push the population up. Mm. So... Um, just simply pushing interest rates up isn't going to get you where you want to go, I don't think. And also, you have to start to realise, or governments have to realise, and I think the Reserve Bank probably has a moral obligation to realise, that rises in interest rates make people suffer. 
So there's a social cost. There's a social dimension to this that is non-economic. And how 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 long can you sort of belt the belt the Australian public before they become disenfranchised with government? Because I've just been up um, in one of the remote states here in the United States. I've just got back, and boy, oh boy. You never want Australia to get like it is over here with a total distrust of government because people just can't make a living. Inflation's got so bad um, that there's a loss of faith in the government and the people who are running the country. Now, uh, you don't ever want to see that happen in Australia, I don't think. So I'd just urge the Reserve Bank and the government to consider the social cost of rising interest rates and the, the impact that it has on people. But you think there will be a, a rate rise? I think, I think there probably will be. I think there probably will be. That they're, they're going to try and what what there should be is a cut in migration. I think, um, and a closer look at the type of skilled migrants that are coming in. I think from you look at the productivity figures that some of the people that are arriving obviously aren't skilled migrants, and some of them aren't students either, not genuine students, because. Uh, not, it's not impacting on the productivity. The government's got to get the productivity up and it's got to spend money on housing. There's got to be some public-private partnerships to build more houses. You simply can't have this level of population while the housing stock isn't moving. What are you going to do, put people in the streets? Mm. Kieran Kelly, it's great, um, great to talk to you, mate. Just quickly, because we've got a, a couple of minutes, you're over in America so and you've given us sort of a report that the distrust of government there is palpable. Um, I think it's a bit a bit like that in Australia, but obviously not to the extent that it is in America. Uh, no, I, I was up in Idaho, a very remote place of Idaho. I stopped at a place called Molly's Coffee Shop in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Trucks outside with horse floats on the back of them, lots of saddles in the back of them, uh, hay, fencing tools, etc., etc. I go inside, everyone's got a big hat on. They're all sitting around a table, all working men between 30, and women between 35, 45. The first thing the lady says when I order a cup of coffee, can I sell you a Donald Trump cat? No, I don't want to. What about a mega uh, coffee mug? No, no, there's pictures of Donald Trump everywhere. I sit down and talk to some of these stockmen and women, all working folk. They're so disillusioned. All they're talking about is they can't make ends meet. Some of them had, you know, husbands and wives working, and they're not making enough money to make ends meet because of inflation and other factors. And these look like hard-working people to me, hard, callous hands, sunburnt faces, people that spend a lot of time in the saddle, I'd say. And someone's got to look after these people. Bob Menzies called them the forgotten people, and John Howard called them battlers. Well, I think they're being forgotten about, and I just urge the RBA mainly and the federal government, just think about some of those forgotten people. Well, otherwise, you'll end up with Donald Trump posters all over the wall from disaffected voters. None of us want that. Kieran, great to talk to you, mate. It's been a while. Um, uh, you're going skiing, are you, when <laughs> the snow's falling? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm corralling uh, grandchildren. I'm here on a <laughs> three-week <laughs> roundup of grandchildren. Well, keep in touch and we'll see you, when, uh, if not before, when you come back, okay? Righto. Thanks, mate. Good on you, mate. Thanks, Kieran. Graham Todd in Kingscliff. Morning, Graham Todd. How are you? Fantastic. That's good. I haven't, Macca, heard, haven't heard from you for ages. Uh, about two or three years ago, we were down the studio talking about our 50th anniversary, I think it was. That's right, yeah. With, with our daughter, Jackie. Anyhow, we had our grandson here the other day. He was visiting us from 
overseas where he's based most these days. And uh, I said, um, you like the jacarandas? He said, yeah, Poppy said, they're great. I said, hang on, I'll take you for a drive. I'll show you one you haven't seen before. He said, I've seen jacarandas. But I've been to grass and we know where all the jacarandas are. Uh, so I said, this one's at some bulgum. Some bulgum? Yeah, but it's just, just down the river here from Kingscliff. But halfway between Kingscliff and, and the Wollombar. And I said, in the middle of the main street there, beautiful on the river, Tweed River, there's a white jacaranda. What? White? I said, have a look at that. And we just as we arrived, we've got a photo we sent through to Lee. The tree would have to be 12, 14 metres high, probably four and a half, five and a half metres wide. Absolutely beautiful. White, white, white jacarandas. So I didn't think too... I didn't think too many people knew that there were too many white... There's not a lot of white jacarandas around. There's a few. We supplied a couple to a council just south of Woodburn uh, a few years ago because we had a grower up here that, that actually got some grafting from one of the white jacarandas. Mm-hmm. But uh, we knew where they were. And he grafted them and started to produce uh, plants that grew up in 100-litre bags. And we put some just south of Woodburn. There's half a dozen there now flowering. But... I thought your listeners may not have heard or seen a flower of white flowers on a jacaranda tree. Fantastic. No, no. and I rem- see, I remember people from time to time send us photos. I remember somebody sent us a little story in a photo of a white emu they found and a white kangaroo. There's the white, that white whale that uh, people have seen around oh, the place right. too. Oh, that's right, yeah, and, yeah. and, um, and also a white waratah, and apparently white waratahs were white and... Uh, you never know what happens in this this uh, sort of throwback world, isn't it? In lots of ways, but um, no, I've not, exactly. not I've not seen one, but uh, most interesting. And, you know? and have a look at that photo I sent through to Lee, and uh, maybe Lee can put it on your whatever, and other people from around Australia, around the world can see this magnificent. It's absolutely stunning, unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, lovely, to, lovely to talk to you. Say hello to the boys and girls in the in the room there. No more chocolates when I come down next time. <laughs> Good on you, Graham. Great to talk to you, mate. See you, pal. See you, mate. See you, Bye. Bye. Tennis has never been the national game, but always been very popular in Australia. Come out with me to Hay. I'm talking to Stuart Callaghan from Hay Tennis Club. You're a full-time professional here. Yes, yeah, I'm the full-time coach. Keep busy with the kids. Do many country towns have a tennis coach, do you know? Not that many. Yeah, not that many these days, I think. Do a lot of people play tennis in Hay? I must do. There's so many courts here, two, four, six. Yeah, we have plenty. We've got plenty of kids, a few good night adult comps, a few good kids comps. And tell me your story. You've played tennis here, where? All over the world? Or? Yeah, I grew up here in Hay, and then I spent my childhood in Sydney playing tournaments, and then I became a coach when I finished school. I've coached in Sydney for 15 years, Hay and Sweden for five years. <laughs> wow, what was yeah. that like? Yeah, good, all indoor. So that was a good experience. Four months of the year outdoor. Do the Swedish take their tennis seriously? They love it, although they have dropped down in comparison to how they used to be. And they were a powerhouse in the 80s and 90s. Mm. They're nothing like that now. So in a sense, it's... it's like us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's like a lot worse over there. Yeah, we were obviously a powerhouse in the 50s and 60s. 
But we've still got, you know, eight players, I think, in the top 100. Mm. Sweden have got none. So, yeah, that was a good experience. So yeah. kids come to you here and you coach? Oh, now they do, I suppose. You yeah, coach. so I coached. I just had a, that little preschooler then. Lots of kids, up to over 40 hours a week of kids. Because country tennis was big for Australia, wasn't it, as you say, in yeah. the 50s and 60s? Yeah, absolutely. I remember going to all the towns and playing on all the courts when I was a kid, and now... I've noticed definitely when I go through all these towns, the courts are sadly derelict, not being used. I see all of that, you know, the old dirt courts run down. And so, so is um, there a country competition like when kids from Hay go to other? Yeah, towns absolutely. And there's a interstate and things. Yeah, yep, yeah. and there's uh, regional tournaments. We have them. Yeah, so Daniliquin, Griffith, Wagga, Aubrey, Tumut, Young. Henty every year the the junior circuit runs like that. So. And how does Hay do? I must do all right. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, we have good numbers, definitely good numbers, and we we pop up with the odd winner and runner up. And so yeah. you're closer to Melbourne here, really, than Sydney, aren't you? Yeah. So Mel. So even though we're in New South Wales, Melbourne's only four and a half hours away, and Sydney's more like eight and a half. Even when I grew up playing here as a kid. I did go to Sydney more often than Melbourne because I had family in Sydney, but Melbourne is a lot closer. So what's yeah. it like being a full-time tennis coach? Yeah, good, really good. I, I fell into it by accident and loved it to have just kept going. I suppose you could still be coaching in Sydney, could you? Or in, yes, absolutely. In Sweden? Or? Yep, absolutely. I've got my boss in Sydney, good bloke, Dave Chapman. He always says, you're welcome back anytime, so that's nice to know. And then Sweden as well. I got a job there at the... Helsingborg Tennis Club in Sweden anytime I want so that's good but I love my job here and I'll be staying here like I, I tried Sydney for years and Sweden and and was had to be talked into coming here but now that I'm here I, I like it and love my job is the is the main reason well maybe uh, with more people like you we'll get back to the top of the tennis world <laughs> oh hopefully yeah uh, we're not the powerhouse that we were yeah I'm trying to get it going in the other towns as close to us and trying to do bits and pieces with that as well so hopefully we can get back there i think we're too busy that's the trouble everyone used to play tennis but and people would probably that's... still like to play tennis but oh no i'm too busy i've got this i've got to take the kids to sport or all those sort of things i, I think, don't know i think i think you're absolutely spot on and i think yeah we are too busy and then obviously technology's impacted on all that and i do remember as a kid here a saturday afternoon comp every court full for hours probably about 100 players yeah none of that happens anymore Mm. but that doesn't happen anywhere but we still do have good little local comps on wednesday night monday night sunday morning but as you say you're too busy well can i just have a hit with you You, absolutely have you got a record we've got got an old one don't make me run back to you there you go do it keep hitting through the ball that's it through it how am i looking uh stuart yeah, good. <laughs> a, bit, a bit Ken Rosewell-ish. Yeah. One of the all-time greats. Some say the greatest. I'm looking. <laughs> Dear listeners, I'm, I'm playing. I'm making Stuart look a bit ordinary, actually, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Stuart, if you'd have coached me, Stuart... <laughs> I can't. That's, going, that's, Last a, one. that's the problem. That's, that's the problem. My, my knees are the problem, Stuart. Yep. yep. Thank you very much. And no lovely, worries, Ian. Lovely to meet you. Yeah, great to meet you too. That, that, fantastic. Thanks for dropping by. That's a pleasure. 
I've just been up to Grafton for the Jacaranda Festival. Well, by the way, we'll put um, that photo of the white jacaranda up on the on Facebook. Kelly, is that what you're going to do? Yeah, it's it's quite uh, stark. Never heard of a white jacaranda, but as I said, we from time to time get photos of bits and pieces. The white waratah. There's that white whale, a white white kangaroo. I've got a photo of that and a white emu. So they're sort of a little throwback, but um, and there's a story behind all of that, but um. But yeah, but anyway, I went to Grafton and met lots of people, had fun with ABC Northern Rivers, Renata and Bridie and Kim. And uh, yeah, the people were there, big crowd in Grafton, great town. And I bumped into Cole and Sue. Come and, come and meet them, a most interesting little story. I'm talking to Cole McIntyre. Cole, uh, what do you do for a living? I'm a uh, hydroponic uh, cucumber farmer mm. and I grow my crops on the outskirts of Coffs Harbour and the Lebanese cucumbers, not the tiny little baby ones, yeah. um, nor the big ones that you wrap in plastic and they get sent to Brisbane and uh, every Sunday morning they're jumping into boxes because Mac is talking to them and they want to, <laughs> they want to get away from him. <laughs> How did you get into that? Oh, well, I'm an agronomist and uh, I decided my grandkids would only come and see me if I lived on the coast, so I had to leave the far west. And I, Where was that? Oh, well, I grew up in Walgett, got relations in Burke, and that's the country I miss, but that's that's just what happens when when your families grow up. The cousins out of Burke keep looking at me and say, how can you grow cucumbers? And I say, how can you have 100,000 acres and keep burying sheep, you know, and... It, it all changes. It, it all goes round. So where did you do your agronomy? Oh, in uh, Sydney Uni and worked on wheat fertilisers, did research on wheat fertilisers in the middle, central west, yes. More importantly, Macker, I was a rower, and so they, the Department of Ag let me stay in Sydney and row. You can tell I'm a pretty big bloke, and I used to row at 70 kilos. I'm now 110. For 13 years, I boiled myself down and tried to row for Australia. I didn't make it, but that's, that's the point. For me, the value of rowing is there's no professionalism in it. You do it because you want to do it, and you, you'll give up anything if you're good. It's like the bloke rang me last week about uh, about something else, Pip his name is, and uh, he said his mate come down from the Territory and he saw all these blokes doing sheep sheep trials and stuff, and he yes. said, you blokes always seem so happy. And he's why is that? And he said, that's because there's no, we're not doing it for money, we're doing it for the love of the game. And, yes. and rowing's, I guess, the same. Although Gina happens to promote and sponsor rowers too, doesn't she? Yes, yeah, and one of the boys I uh, coached, I used to coach, uh, his, his uh, daughter is rowing in the Australian 8, so it's amazing how the cycle goes around and Gina's supporting her. They're never going to become millionaires rowing, that's not the point. The point is, is it's, a, it's a great sport, and everybody, nobody is more important than the person pulling the oar in front of you and behind you. Exactly, it's there's a no, te- team. It's team a real sport. team. There's no, there's no one better than anybody else, including the coxswain. Now, tell me, why did you get into cucumbers? I know you said agro- you, you did agronomy, but why, why did you choose cucumbers? Well, well, my farm kept getting smaller because I kept wanting to build houses, and so, <laughs> so in the end, the council said you can't be a farmer anymore, and I said yes, I can, and I turned myself into a hydroponic cucumber farmer, and I've learned a lot about photosynthesis <laughs> and how and how hard you have to work because it's like dairy farming; every day you have to cut, yeah. every, and, and then you stick them in a cool room, and and then Sundays is packing day. Good business. Oh, it's not going to make me a millionaire, but it makes me happy. My wife, my wife turns her nose up and says, "Ah, this is your wife here. <laughs> Come in." Hi, Sue. So, do you help with the cucumbers? I do help. Yes, Cole does most of the work, and he's very, very clever with the science behind it. So, uh, there's quite a science, and he grows beautiful cucumbers. They're <laughs> sold to Brisbane, and he has. He's been doing it for about 22 years now, and we have a wonderful agent there, Jason Lower, and he. 
has developed his own special... There's people who want the cucumbers that come with the Triple C Coffs Coast cucumbers lid on them because they love the taste of them. And the colour of them. It's all a marketing deal. It's, it's no different to sheep and wheat, except except that uh, you can't plant the crop and shut the gate and come back in, in five months' time and harvest it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've, I've, I'll uh, plant a crop tomorrow and I've, I started harvesting the crop that I planted four weeks ago yesterday it's amazing it just keeps coming you've just got to keep at it in all that um, I educate kids so it's good I certainly miss being out west and the and the the really laconic humor of those fellas out west you know laid back aren't they yeah, yeah if yeah. it doesn't happen today well tomorrow will be all right a bit know. like Bart Cummings they only say something if it needs to be said you yes know? exactly right exactly <laughs> right you just have to get in there and have a go and keep going you know like the man from the gorge He's got no water in his paddocks right now, but he knows it'll come back. Yeah. It'll come back. Lovely to meet you, Colin, Sue. Good on you. Thank Thanks you for saying good day. my husband's day. He yeah. just loves <laughs> your show. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> we left at five. Good day, Maka. It's Alan Piana here from outside the racing mass. It's in Francis, Melbourne today. Oh, right. Yes, that's, in, yeah, that's about to start, is it? Yes, it is. And look, I had Peter Legrand teed up. I still might be here. Uh, and uh, but right now, let me put you on to Darren Gouchy, champion jockey, and Luke Nolan. Okay, all right, Darren Gouchy. Morning, Macca. G'day, it's the Gouch. How are you, Darren? I've not talked to you before, but nice to talk to you. Thank you. No, um, I'm going well, thank you. Have you got a Have you got a ride in the cup, Darren? No, I actually haven't rode. I'm, I've been retired as a rider uh, jockey for about six and a half years now, and my new role is. Um, been part of the, uh, the apprentice team at uh, Flemington to coach the apprentice jockeys, our future riders. Well, that's great. You enjoying that? I do, yeah. I do enjoy it. Um, watching them grow and uh, watching them you know, develop into, into good riders. Well, the racing industry seems to be booming uh, to me. Uh, I don't know, Darren, you're on the inside of it. I just look from outside, but it seems to be uh, more popular than ever. It certainly is, and uh, especially this time of year, we you know, uh, you know, these sort of, this sort of month is, uh, well, put this way, we've got the Flemington Carnival at the moment. The Derby was run, one on one yesterday, and uh, uh, we got the Melbourne Cup on Tuesday, and uh, the race that stops the nation. So it looks like a, a fantastic race as always, and uh, there's a lot of hype, and Melbourne's buzzing. Yeah, um, I, I, I always, we always used to talk to Bart, and he'd give us a tip on Melbourne Cup, you know, on the Sunday before Melbourne Cup day. And amazingly, even when he didn't have a runner in, he was usually pretty close to the mark. Uh, the old, the old Bart. I miss him terribly. Yeah, we all do. He was, he was a great man. Great man. I'll say. He was. Yeah. Who's that with you, Darren? No, that's just Helen. Go on talking to. Darren Gouchy, mate. All right, it's, that's all right, Alan. Thank you. and thanks for uh, talking to us, Darren. So the the you you always go to the racing mass, which starts what half past nine in about five minutes, does it? Yeah, it does start shortly. Um, yeah, I've been coming to it uh, for, for a long time now. There's the bell. The bell. It's a bell going to class. I think. <laughs> we better get his tip, Macca. Who's your tip, Darren? Who's... Oh, that's the lottery. It's. Uh... I think there's a lot of chance in the Melbourne Cup, as there always is, but it's going to be like there are a lot of international horses, and it's pretty hard to line them up, but they look pretty good. So I'd say good luck with that. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Darren. 
great race. It's going to be a great race anyway. Good on you, Darren. Great to talk to you, mate. Thank you. And and, and thanks, Alan. Good on you, thanks, Alan. Good on you. All right, Thank mate. Bye. Macatracks at gmail.com. I've been on the road. I helped uh, ABC North Coast do their OB in Grafton, Jacaranda City, last Thursday. It's amazing who I bump into travelling around Australia. Back in 1988, I did an outside broadcast at Newcastle Waters, one time owned by Kerry Packer. Big property out there. It was called the last great cattle drive. People came from all over. It was really before the days of grey nomads, although there were grey nomads around, but basically it was, uh, yeah, there was a few travellers and a lot of people. This young bloke, Zach Day. G'day, Zach. How are you? Good, mate. How are you? Tell me your story. You were there in 1988. How old were you? Yes, I would have been 13 or 14. My parents got itchy feet here in Grafton and decided they wanted to go to Darwin for six months. And so we just happened to be, you know, driving through the Northern Territory on the way to Darwin and they heard this... The last great the cattle last, drive, yeah, The yeah. last great cattle drive, let's go and have a look. So we went into this place and it was just a dusty sort of... Joint. We had a caravan, yeah, yeah, yeah. some sort of... Yeah. And I went for a walk along to have a look at the few stalls were there and there was a caravan open there with this bloke in there and I just stuck my head in the door and started talking to him and it turned out to be Macca. I told him what we were doing he said, why don't you come on the show tomorrow morning? I said, yeah, right, eh? <laughs> so I went back to our caravan and said, Mum and Dad, I just met Macca on a Sunday morning and he said, come on the show tomorrow. And they said, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever, yeah. mate, yeah, good one. And I said, no, it's actually fair dinkum. So, and I did talk to you the next day? Yeah, so then mm. we came back and did the Why I Live Where mm. I Live segment. Mum took over most of the conversation and we talked about where we came from and where we were going and why we'll go back to the farm where we came from. It's yeah. on the Clarence here. Yeah. I spoke to a bloke the other day and he said everybody's got a psychological point in Australia <laughs> which, which they have to return to. So, yeah, yeah. So you came, you're in Grafton here. What do you do, Zach? Yeah, I'm a metalwork teacher at the local Catholic school. Oh, good on you. Mm. I was just talking to a lady and she rang me. She wanted to, she wants to get people into the TAFE system to teach things like metalwork and manufacturing because there's yeah. a shortage of tradesmen. Yeah. So that's her thing, but I don't know how successful that'll be because when you go into the education system, as you know, it's lots of forms to fill out and things like that. Yeah. Well, I actually did a pre-apprenticeship course as a teacher to learn how to weld. And then they cut those pre-apprenticeship courses. So a lot of kids who were trying to leave school and didn't have an apprenticeship to go to, but wanted to develop their skills to get into the trade, they missed out on that. But I hear lately they've started a couple of night courses here that are free for young people. So that's a, a good initiative, doing welding. I think it's great to get out of school and actually to be able to do something. Mm. I mean, I left school and I thought... That's good, but I can't do anything. Mm. <laughs> I can't weld and fix stuff. Um, yeah. But we had metalwork at our school when I was there. I didn't do it. I did woodwork. But, um, mm. yeah, it's, uh, are people still interested in doing it, kids? Yeah, the- kids love it, especially farm kids love being able to fix stuff because mm. most of the farm machinery, when it breaks down, needs to be welded back together. So they, the rural kids really do like it. And the folks still here in Grafton too or up yeah, the road? Yeah, so they're, they're up on the farm. They're in their early 70s now, and they've gone from... They've planted a heap of pecans up there, so they've got a, a pecan orchard. And it's they, a great place, Grafton, isn't it? Yeah, I, I love it. Yeah. Love the river too. Yeah, so they're on the river. If you went in a boat that way for 20 minutes, you'd get to their place. Well, you better say g'day to you, especially to Mum. Um, say say g'day to both of them. Have you been back to Newcastle Waters? No, no, no. Well, it was fortuitous for me to come here and meet you, Zach. Thanks you, for saying g'day. Thanks, Macca. It's the morning after the night before. Last night I was at the Grafton pub. I don't know what one it was, and... And I bumped into this bloke called Zach. 
and he said, G'day, Macker, I met you at the last great cattle drive in 1988. He did. And I said, God, you must have been young. He says, yes, I was 13. He said, so anyway, he said, we came down, and he said, I wanted to tell you my story, but my mum took over, and she wouldn't shut up. And you wouldn't believe it. I'm here in Grafton the next day, and Trevor and Mary, the parents, have turned up. How are you, Mary? I'm very well, thanks, Macca. And Trevor? Yeah, I'm great, thanks, Macca. Well, it's most surprising to meet Zach because um, that was a long time ago, but I remember it well. That's right, Macca, because you asked me about us travelling, and we had our five children with us, and we had... This is in 1988. 1988, that was our bicentennial celebration to travel around Australia. You almost predated the grey nomads, didn't you? Definitely. We were the young grey nomads then. And we had a huge flood in Grafton in the Easter and took us. we were a couple of weeks late leaving. Zach said you live up the river a bit here. We do. It's the same place as we lived before we left in 1988. Trevor, where is it? It's called First Falls at Milford. It's about 11 k's west of Grafton on the river. The most beautiful place in the world <laughs> on the Clarence River. Yeah. And Zach was truly, I could see the disappointment in his face when he recounted the fact that he came down to tell Macquarie's story and mum took over. Yes, look, that's probably happened to him a number of times in his life where his mother takes over. That's, that's what mothers do. And you, you took off with the kids for what, six months? Yeah, six months. Yeah. Yeah. Was it good? It was a great experience, yes. People sort of said, oh, can you do that? And I said, well, just take them out of school and they will learn a lot more on the road than probably sitting in a classroom for six months. So how's the drought, Trevor? Yeah, really bad. Worst we've ever seen in 43 years. It seems only recently we're all wading around in gumboots. Up to our, well, we couldn't even drive through the paddocks. It was that bad. Yeah. That's the country we live in, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I've actually brought along a song for you mm. that we did back in 1991. After the big floods we had then, like two floods in one year, same as what we had in the last few years, and it's about the droughts. And it's got all these guys called Bruce on it, and one of them is called Troy Bruce. And it's Troy Casadale when he was coming back from Tamworth and passing past the studio and we said, Troy, could you just come in and sing a couple of songs for us? And he did these songs in one take. Bang, he did it. Well, listen, Trevor and Mary, well, lovely to meet you both and yeah. I'll play the Bruce Brothers. Can I have yeah. that? Yeah, yeah it's yours. Yeah, okay. I brought it especially right. for you. Good on you, Trevor. Okay. Mary. Thanks for the interview, Malcolm. That's a pleasure. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.